Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. For those of y'all who have not met me, I am the primary preaching voice of our contemporary service and the pastor of discipleship. And this week, I had someone ask me, uh, what grade of high school are you going into this week? <laughs> Which was very flattering for me. But I'll, I will tell you a story about when I was in high school. I grew up in Friendswood. Friendswood, Texas is a small town down I-45 on the way to Galveston. Uh, it was sort of a bedroom community where a lot of astronauts and rocket scientists for NASA would live. And my dad, who's a pastor of that church, would always tell me, um, Jeremy, the guy who runs our soundboard has three PhDs, and they're all in like these niche rocket science astrophysics type things. Just a very, very high achieving culture, very people who have sort of reached the pinnacle of their profession. And people who have reached the pinnacle of their profession have had that sort of bleed down, this very achievement-oriented culture was what I grew up in. And sort of to give you an example, I was in band in high school, which when I say that surprises no one. Uh, no one's confused like, no, no, Jeremy, you were on the football team. No, I was in band. Uh, I was clearly a band guy. And even in band at Friendswood High School, it was a very, very achievement-oriented, perfection-driven, have-to-be-the-best culture. That there was the wind ensemble, which was our top band, which won honor band when I was there. Just very, very top quality in the state of Texas. And then there were those who were not in wind ensemble. And those who had sort of failed to meet the level of perfection. And then there were those even within wind ensemble who competed not just for all region band, but competed for all area band and even all state band. And then there were those who didn't. And in my uh, sophomore year of high school, we got second in the state of Texas in our marching band competition. But it wasn't good enough because we didn't get first place. And then my senior year, we again got fourth place in the state of Texas, and that wasn't good enough because we didn't medal. It was this very achievement-oriented, very trying to pursue this perfection of what we thought it was. And so we're starting a new sermon series this week, as, or this, this week, as Ryan talked about, called Pursuing Perfection, and that's the image up on the screen. Because often what we are trying to pursue is sort of this idyllic American life. This is sort of, it feels like it's taken right from the pages of like a Sears catalog. That's an old thing, right? Sears catalog from the 1950s. You know, husband and wife two kids, a boy and a girl, perfect house, perfect car, everything is just perfect about their lives, it feels like. And how we are often trying to pursue that type of cultural perfection in our own lives. And I was, when I was in band, when I was at Friendswood, I felt that draw, I felt that push to conform to that image of what perfection was. Y'all may have noticed uh, this past week with the Olympics with Simone Biles dropping out about how when she dropped out, it meant that Team USA didn't get the gold medal, they got silver. And the way that that was talked about is it was almost a disappointment. Are you kidding me? How could you not get gold? 
you just got silver. I was listening to uh, an interview from Allie Raisman, who was on the U.S. Olympic team a few years ago. And she was talking about the Simone Biles incident. And she said this about just the pressure that she felt. She said this, I wanted to make it seem like I was okay all the time. And I didn't want to make ways when it felt like I wasn't okay. I was always competing out of a sense of fear. I felt like nothing besides a gold medal was enough. And the pressure from the media or our society was, if I don't win, it doesn't matter and it's not good enough. There's a movie y'all may have heard of, the, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. What's a famous quote from that? If you ain't first, you're last. And that's just a common belief in our culture that if you're not at the pinnacle, you're not at the best, you haven't reached that idyllic idea of what it means to be perfect, then you're somehow failing in this life. And we're constantly striving for that cultural image of perfection. And social media is just a great way for us to put that image out of look at my great Instagram page. Look at how there's no flaws behind the scene. Look at my Facebook page. There's nothing going on bad behind the scenes. Just this perfect image. Let me put that out before you. And hopefully it will be true after a while. So let's see what scripture has to say about this. We're going to be in the book of Philippians Chapter 3, starting in verse 5 through verse 14. And this is Paul talking to the church in Philippi. He says this, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. You hear that? Just that I was perfect. I was perfect. According to every cultural standard, I, Paul, was perfect. And it goes on. I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And because and become one with him, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death, so that the one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. I don't mean that I've already achieved this, or that I've already reached perfection, which Christ first possessed for me, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ first possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, I look forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. I do not say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to that perfection which Christ first possessed for me. 
John Wesley's, one of his famous kind of theological flags in the sand was what he called Christian perfection. Another way to put it would be entire sanctification. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the purpose of your faith here on earth? Have you ever truly asked, why is it that I come to church week in and week out? Do you think of your faith as a ticket to heaven? That you just kind of come to make sure that that ticket's always being renewed and that you always have that sure ticket in front of you? Do you think that you come to church so that way I can be a better moral person and live in the society in a better way? Or do we come to church because our spouse drags us to church or our parent drags us to church and we really don't want to be here? John Wesley saw that the goal of faith was not just simply waiting to die. It's not just simply becoming a better moral person. But John read this scripture and he read these scriptures and he found that there seems to be this goal that God is calling us to live out here on earth and he called that Christian perfection. Paul says, I'm striving for perfection and it was different than the perfection that his culture was placing on him. Wesley saw that the goal of religion as Paul talks about here, is perfection. And when we talk about Christian perfection, we mean holiness and sanctification. Holiness and sanctification. The word perfect here in the Greek is the word telos, which is the, 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 the end for which something was created. So you create a hammer, and the purpose of a hammer is to hit things. And when God creates us, the purpose for us is holiness. Being like Christ. Here's a, I'm going to have a lot of slides for you, so just forewarning. So what is Christian perfection? Well, let's start off by what it's not. It is not perfect in knowledge or free from ignorance, that you can be made holy in love, that you can be entirely sanctified but not uh, fully know everything. It does not mean that you are free from mistakes does not mean that you are free from infirmities, meaning sicknesses. Does not mean that you are free from temptation. And does not mean that you are free from further growth. What Christian perfection is, what entire sanctification is, what the purpose for which God created us to be here on earth is this. Christian perfection is the profound love of God and the profound love of neighbor. No longer being in bondage to sin. John Wesley said it's holiness, which he defined as love excluding sin. In other words, the love of God is so shed abroad in our heart that the love of God has been so poured and transformative in our hearts that there is no more room for sin. That's not only an outward transformation, but it's an inward transformation of the heart. John Wesley said that God raised up the people called Methodists so that way we might declare scriptural holiness throughout the land. That John saw this as his message and his uh, calling from the Lord. That this holiness, this perfection of our heart, is this something that we are truly pursuing or are we pursuing the cultural image that the world is trying to press upon us? Going back to what Paul says, he talks about how basically I was perfect in that day. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. 
that I was circumcised on the right day. I followed the law and did everything that every cultural expectation that was put on me, I fulfilled it. And then he says this in verse seven, I once thought all of this cultural expectation that was put on me was valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. That word garbage there, it's the Greek word skubalon. And it has, in the Greek, it has this sort of vulgarness to it. There's an English word for it, but I'm not St. Paul, and I will not say it from the pulpit. Uh, but there's this vulgarness to it that it's, it's dung, it's, it's poop, as some other English translations try to grab at it. It's this idea that this is all worthless, that all these things that culture tries to put on me, that all those things that I thought I could stand on, I consider it all scuba on, I consider it all garbage, rubbish, worthless, because I have seen the risen Christ. And I've seen what the power of Christ can do in my life, and I can see how God is calling me to a different place. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Friends, we pursue perfection in almost every aspect of our life except our faith. That we so strive for that image of perfection. Accept our faith. But if we are to be the people of God, we are to be people who pursue perfection in love and holiness. To pursue perfection in love and holiness. There's this picture that's going to be up on the screen. Uh, Seedbed, for those of y'all who don't know, is sort of the publishing arm of Asbury Seminary. And their great theme is Sowing for a Great Awakening or telling people about what they call the second half of the gospel, which is sanctification. And this is based off a Barna study where they interviewed 15,000 people in America about where their faith was. And they came up with sort of, there's 10 transformational steps in a person's life. And you see in the blue, the first step is unaware of sin. The second is indifferent to sin. And the third is worried about sin. So they did this 10 years ago. So 57% of America, they would say, would be outside. And then the next one is forgiven from sin. And then the fifth one is forgiven and active in the church, and that's justification. And so what they say is 89% of America is in the first half of this gospel. And what they argue is that God is calling us to be participants in the second half of the gospel. That too many times we like to sit in that justification part. We like to say, all right, Lord, I'm forgiven. I got my ticket to heaven. I'm all good. I don't need to do anything else. You're not calling me to do anything else. And I'm just going to kind of sit here and enjoy the ride. 
in the second half of that gospel. Six, holy discontent. A God who breaks your heart. Seven, broken by God. Nine, surrender. Or eight, surrender and submission. Nine, profound love of God. And ten, profound love of neighbor. And you can see that it just goes down and down and down and down. And what they argue in the video is that if we're the people called Methodists who, John Wesley said, to proclaim scriptural holiness throughout the land, to proclaim that holiness is happiness and holiness is the love of God poured into our hearts, we've done a terrible job proclaiming that message. Friends, the American church is dying. It's just the reality of it. What if the American church is dying because we've been so content to sit in our justification? We've been so content to settle for a mediocre faith rather than where God is calling us to press in deeper into him and press in deeper into where God is calling us to be. St. Francis of Assisi has this famous quote. Uh, You've probably heard it. Proclaim the gospel always and when necessary, use words. That quote has been uh, misused, I think, a lot in the church to say, I don't have to evangelize to anyone. I'll just sort of live my life and people will come to faith. The problem with that is that really only works is when you're someone like St. Francis of Assisi who poured out his life, who gave up all of his wealth so he could become a monk, who went out to the poor, who cared deeply for the poor in his community, who had the profound love of God and the profound love of neighbor, that every action that he did was a gospel message because he had been so shaped by the Lord. That this call to perfection, this call to holiness is just becoming who God created us to be. Who God created us to be. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew, but you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's one of those passages we read in Scripture and we're like, oof, that's hard. Moving on. Let's go to that cool healing miracle, Jesus. I think I'm done with that really hard passage. Let's just move on. I'll file it in my back banks, but I don't really want to deal with that right now. But John Wesley saw this as a command of the Lord, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in the middle of the command of the Lord, John Wesley saw the profound grace of God in the middle of that command. Because what God commands, it's his promises. That God's commands are his promises of what he can do in your life. And what he promises, he desires. What he desires, he wills to happen. And friends, sanctification and holiness is about being set free from the bondages of sin in order to love God with our whole being. Many of us here in this room, we carry a deep sense of of guilt and shame from the sins that we've committed this past week, from the sins we may have committed last night, or even the sins we've committed this morning getting ready to come here. And you feel trapped in this cycle Like you can't escape. In the middle of all this, you're saying, Jeremy, I've tried to stop sinning. I've tried to do this before and it just didn't work. 
That's easy for you to say up there, but it just didn't, it doesn't work for me. But if we see the call to perfection is also a promise of God that he will set us free from these things that cause us shame. And it starts off with believing that God actually can and wants to and will set us free from the bondages of sin. That God's desire in your life is not bondage, not chains, but God's heart for your life is one of freedom. It's one of freedom. John Wesley, when he discovered that the gospel is about being set free from sin, that the, the grace of God is so powerful in my life that I don't have to sin anymore. That was the good news that John Wesley discovered. And he wrote to his former mentor and he said, why did you not tell me? Why did you not tell me that the gospel is about freedom from this bondage? Why did you not tell me that Christ has come that I may be set free? Well, friends, you will not be able to leave this place without knowing that Jesus Christ wants to set you free. When we look at pursuing perfection, we often treat it like I did back in Friendswood. Try harder, practice more, work harder, almost like this, like being driven, like I have to do it, I have to work hard, time to knuckle down, it's all up to me and my effort, and if I don't do it myself, then it's not going to get done. But pursuing perfection is not done solely on our own effort and strength. Pursuing perfection is not done solely on our own effort and strength. The message is not try harder to break out of the cycle. That it's all up to you. Good luck. Figure it out. I'm going to send you out here and I'm just basically a message to try harder. That's not what I'm saying here today. The answer is to lean deeper into the grace of God. The answer is to lean deeper into the grace of God. To not sit up this facade of perfection, because that's really what that graphic is. It's a facade of what we project to the world, this idea of what we want to accomplish. And we strive so hard to reach that facade when inwardly our souls are crying out for freedom and longing for something more to life than this. That we are to be people who need true inward and outward transformation. So what is grace? Grace is one of those like churchy words that's often talked about, rarely defined. So I'm going to define it for you all today. Grace is the love of God in action. The undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God in human existence. That the acts of God moving and working in your life is all grace. Paul, going back to Philippians, he says this in verse 9. Become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. I no longer count my own efforts. Rather, I become righteous, how? Through faith in Christ. I become righteous through faith in Christ by putting my whole trust in him. Wesley said that faith in God is trust in God. I put my whole trust in him. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. The mighty power of Christ that raised him from the dead is the same power that can set you free from the bondages of sin. To lean into God and his actions in our life. 
In Methodism, we talk about the means of grace. You may have heard this uh, phrase be thrown around. Basically, what Wesley said is there are ordinary channels that God has preordained through which he pours out those loving actions in our lives. Scripture reading, searching the scriptures, prayer, fasting, worship, communion, being in real, authentic community with one another, to be in those means of grace, to actively pursue after the Lord and let him be the one who actively perfects us. To just go to the wellspring of life over and over and over again. And slowly but surely what you'll see is the Lord will begin to bring transformation into your life. Because he's too good not to. As we go forward in this series, it's going to be stepping on our toes. Because it's going to shine a light on our sin in the areas in which we've settled for a mediocre faith where we settled for less than what Jesus wants for us. And so I'd encourage us as we go throughout these series to just search our hearts, to open up that junk closet like me and Clint talked about these past two weeks, to open up those areas of our lives that for so long we have kept hidden from the Lord, that for so long we have said, this is not for you, Jesus, this is just for me. I'll keep this hidden sin to myself or I don't want to deal with this mess. I don't want to deal with all this pain and this hurt. That this is now the time to say, Lord, I will give this over to you because I'm tired of how it's affecting me. I'm tired of all the pain and the shame and the hurt that it brings me. This journey that we're supposed to go on is not like the one I went on at Friendswood where we pursue and fall short and it's just over and over and over again and it's filled with shame. This is about walking with the Lord and leaning into his actions in our lives, saying yes to the next step, saying, yes, Lord, let me open up this closet to you. Yes, Lord, I give you my heart. Yes, Lord, I give you the sin. Yes, Lord, I give you my woundedness and my brokenness. And it's about just saying, yes, Lord, here it is. Yes, Lord, here's my greed. Yes, Lord, here's my anger. Yes, Lord, here's my sex addiction. Yes, Lord, here's all these things that keep me from you. Come and do a new thing in my life. So as we begin this series, where are our eyes pointed at? Where are our eyes pointed at? Paul calls us to set our eyes on Christ. It says this in verse 12. I press on. I press on. I pursue to possess that perfection which Christ first possessed for me. That Christ has already possessed perfection for you. And our job is to just hold on tightly to Christ and follow where he leads us. No, dear brothers, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Looking forward to what lies ahead. But we are to be people who look forward to where God is leading us and where God is calling us into the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the abundance and all that life, life abundantly that Jesus promises us that that is what is ahead of us and shame and sin and brokenness is what lies behind us. That is the future that the Lord is leading us to. And so do we have our eyes set on the scubalon behind us? 
Are we looking forward to the majesty of Jesus? So let's pour out our junk closets before the Lord and let him transform us. Because the God who cleans out our sin and brokenness, the God who sets us free, that's a God worth serving. That's a God worth worshiping. That's a God worth being with forever and ever. Amen. And so we'll have some response questions up on the screen during communion to just reflect. The first is, do you believe that you can be set free from sin? Do you truly believe that the power of God is so incredibly magnificent that you can be set free from sin? Number two, do you desire to be sanctified, to be made holy? Do you desire this profound love of God and neighbor? So John Wesley believed that communion was a means of grace. John Wesley truly believed that when we come to the communion table that we meet our Lord and he gives us grace, he gives us strength for the journey. And after the supper was over, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. After the supper was over, he took the cup He gave thanks to his father and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. Lord, set our hearts ablaze for the things of God. Help us to be like Paul and consider all this other perfection that we're pursuing to be scubalon. Let's grasp a hold to the cross of Christ as you call us into a brighter and better future than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us in that way today. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ transformed by your blood. Lord, make us one with Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until we feast at your heavenly banquet. We tell stories about how you set us free from sin and live with you forever and ever. As we say the prayer that you taught us to pray all those years ago, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.